Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I want to talk about a subject today that is permeating our lives on a daily basis. We're living it out every day. And some of us are handling it better than others. It's this thing we call change. Now, there's little disagreement that we live in an age of unprecedented change. No matter what our age group, change is occurring more rapidly than we've ever experienced it before. And in prophetic fashion, the prophet Daniel said this. Daniel prophesied of the end times and said, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. In Daniel 12.4. Doris and I have experienced dramatic change in the last number of years. And you know what? I brought Doris with me today to prove the fact that I'm married. <laughs> she hasn't been able to come since the uh, marriage retreat. And I brought her, uh, this is her first trip since having both knees replaced, one in December and one in March, and so I'm married to a truly bionic woman, and I want her to stand and say hi to everybody today, if she can, there, there we go. And now that I think about Doris, I should say our daughter Brianna, soon to be 29, is yet not married. So I'm just hanging that announcement out there, just holding it out there. (laughs) I had another friend come in the first service and he goes, is your daughter married yet? Because ours isn't married yet either. (laughs) And so we're holding out in prayer together. She actually works for a firm that's based in Dallas but has a Seattle office, so uh, who knows? She might end up in Dallas someday. I don't know. But we have dealt with amazing and frantic change in our lives, like all of you, but sometimes it boils down to a very personal and traumatic change that's occurring for specific reasons. Six or seven years ago now, I was diagnosed with cancer. And thank the Lord, I'm here today, doctor follow-up visit in January, cancer-free, he said. That physical challenge, along with challenges that I was not handling well in my responsibilities as superintendent of 350 churches and 1,400 ministers at the time, led me to make some decisions that turned our lives upside down. And I entered into a ministerial discipline program that lasted for two years. And as I say, I was on the other side of the desk from one day to the next. And it was traumatic. We define traumatic, by the way, at the counseling ministry where we work as ordinary people encountering extraordinary event or events with which they find themselves unable to cope. So we've kind of simplified or made a layman's definition of what trauma is. And some of you will say, well, I've experienced that. And I'm here to tell you that means you've experienced trauma. And God is here to help us through those moments. And in that 
uh, process, we've encountered some incredibly difficult days. We were in a uh, minister's retreat just about three years prior to that. We were ministering in the state of Arizona, and at the end of the message, I, which I'm preaching here today, it was a form of this sermon. I've, I've changed it some for today, but the word that I'm bringing you, I brought to this group of ministers. And at the end of it, a young couple came to us, and with some fear and trepidation, because we didn't know them, they said, we have something we'd like to share with you. Well, whenever that happens... <laughs> You never know what, what to expect, especially when you don't know the person. And so we said, well, certainly. So we sat down, and, I, and, and they said, well, we'd better sit down. Do you remember that, honey? And we, we went over and sat down, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, a word from God, and they're asking me to sit down. <laughs> so it's going to be that tough. And they looked at us and through really emotional tears said, the word you've brought to this group tonight, you are going to encounter the need for on a personal level in a very dramatic way in the next two or three years. I didn't think much of it until the two or three years passed and we found ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, even thinking about suicide as an option. And... I remembered that moment. And so I found myself returning to this message and preaching it to myself. So whether it's a significant change that you are personally encountering or the general sense of change through which all of us are navigating each and every day, we all are living in a day and age of incredibly difficult change. Josh McDowell, the America's oldest youth pastor, still active in ministry in his 80s, said that, uh, and this was 25 years ago, 25 years ago I heard Josh McDowell speaking to a group of ministers and he said to us as ministers of the gospel, if you do not adapt and change, you will be obsolete as a minister of the gospel in five years. For the last 25 years, that has rung over and over and over in my mind. Freshmen entering Beloit College, a college in Wisconsin, each year for the last 21 years have uh, prompted the production of what they call the mindset list for the class of, and this year it was the class of 2022. So the 18-year-olds, by and large, that were entering college at Beloit College this last fall never knew alive in their lifetime names like Victor Borga, Charles Schultz, and the original Obi-Wan Kenobi, Alec Guinness. They're the first class born in the new millennium, escaping the dreaded label of millennial through their own designation, iGens, Gen Zs, Gen X, they haven't decided yet what they want to be. Outer space has always been inhabited by a human being in their lifetime. They have uh, always been able to refer to Wikipedia 
They've grown up afraid that a shooting could happen at their school. Investigative specials examining the O.J. Simpson case have been on TV every year since the day of their birth. When filling out forms, they're not surprised to find more than two gender identification boxes on the form. They've grown up with stories about where their grandparents were on 11-22-1963. What was that? JFK was assassinated right here in Dallas. And their parents telling stories about where they were on 9-11. They will never fly TWA, Swiss Air, or Sabina Airlines, and I've flown all of those. The Prius has always been on the road in the United States. They never used a spit bowl in the dentist's office. And you're missing out on it. If you never used a spitball, drool coming down the side of your face out of that Novocaine lip and that sucking noise. Now it's all sterile with that little tube they put in your mouth. A visit to a bank is a rare event. Like actually going inside and talking to a person called a teller. (laughs) They've never had to deal with chads be they dimpled, hanging, or pregnant. See, there's, a, there, uh, there's probably a, a large group of people in this crowd here today who go, a Chad, like who's Chad? <laughs> and why is he dimpled or pregnant? I don't <laughs> Chernobyl has never produced any power in their lifetimes. They've never tasted Pepsi Twist. There have always been more than a billion people in India Films have always been distributed on the internet. And they say, Donnie and Marie who? (laughs) The rapidity of change. That's what seems to capture me in this day and time when I just get used to using a certain app on the phone and Doris gets tired of it, I'll say, why did they change this app? I just got used to the last one. Now I have to learn this one all over. She's going, quit whining about the apps. Just adapt. Change is an inevitable and pervasive truth in our lives. But you know there's a tremendous relationship between God and change. In our consideration and interaction with change, it's been helpful for me to consider the relationship between God and the change that's occurring in my life. Because God, first and foremost, is a God of order. God, out of the many outstanding characteristics in his creative work, he has identified himself as someone who does things in an orderly fashion, and yet my life sometimes seems really out of order. How do I reconcile those moments? There's an order to the plan of salvation. He says he established it from the foundations of the world. 
There's an order to the establishment of God's people when he came to Abraham and he said, your seed shall number more than the sands of the seashore and they shall be a blessing to all nations. An order. There's an order to the Christian home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, having washed her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious bride with no spot or blemish. Men, come to the men's conference. (laughs) There's an order in the church to the point that Paul left very practical instructions to Titus in the New Testament. For this reason I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city just as I instructed you. The fact that God is a God of order is easily discovered and easily defended from the scriptures. It's illustrated in the unchanging nature of God and his character. God is the only unchangeable constant in a constantly changing world. He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Do you feel eaten up by change sometimes? Like it's a a wave that's coming over the top of your head. There's nothing to breathe. You're underwater. He says, I don't change so that you won't be consumed. Every good thing, James says, bestowed. And every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or no shifting shadow. And then the one I learned as a kid, and it hangs on my wall now in my office because it hung on my grandmother's wall on a little plaque, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's an interesting thought that in all of this order, an unchanging God, the timeless God, created change. It really didn't make sense to me when I was reading through the account of creation uh, some years ago and I was beginning to look at day one, day two, day three. And in fact, let's, let's go through it. Let's see, test your Bible knowledge. Day one, God created Oh, see, you're in the first service. You cheated. In the first service, (laughs) only one lone voice, the prophet John, who sat right down here, he said, light, just that lone voice in the wilderness crying out. Now all of you are claiming credit, like you're going, hey, hey, we know, we know, we know. (laughs) Kiana, I didn't hear you answer in the first service at all. And I mean, you just jumped all over that in your salmon-colored shirt. That is salmon. If you were from the Northwest, you would know it's salmon. It's not crappie or bass or anything else. It's salmon, okay? Day two. 
Oh, now the, the uh, big drop off, big, big drop off in the prophetic voices. Day two was the heavens and firmament. Day three, dry land and vegetation. Day four, lights in the heavens, stars, sun, moon. Day five, fish and birds. Okay, we're getting right down to it now. Day six, land animals and man. Cameron, you got it. You're going, I want to know when I was created. And then day seven, see, everybody knows about rest. That's the one. That's the one we all jump on. I was reading this account not too many weeks ago, and the Lord said, which one of those commandments are you most routinely breaking? I said, well, it's the Sabbath. And he said, if you broke all the rest of them the way you're routinely breaking that one, how far would you get? It was a real moment of conviction by the Holy Spirit in my life. And uh, I, I, I was reading through the account some years ago in the formation of this message, and the, the day four stuck out to me. It says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And as I read that, I thought, the timeless, changeless, limitless God created Time and change. Change was actually a part of God's creative work. In setting the sun, moon, and stars in place, God initiated time and he established change as part of his order. If God created change as a normal course for our lives, then why do I have such a hard time adapting to change? Why, when the new app comes up on the phone, does that rustle something up inside of me? And then even more so if I'm going through more significant changes. And the older I become, the more solidified or petrified I become in my willingness to change. Not only did God create change, establish time, on that creative effort when he put the world in place, he will also do away with all those elements as part that he made a part of creation when he executes his eternal plan because in eternity, those of you who know the Bible well will know this verse. Revelation 21 says he'll wipe away tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God created time, and he'll do away with time. So here we are in the middle of that. Trying to deal with the stretching, the pulling, the disappointment, the fear, the frustration that we experience in the face of change. There were three things that the Lord had spoken to me that I delivered to those ministers those many years ago that I'd like, that I've refreshed in my thinking to bring to you today. And Doris and I had to use these things 
in a very personal way to navigate our journey of the last five years. Number one, recognize that change was created for, uh, by God for my blessing. Cameron, Spencer, Ryan, Caitlin, Kim, were you glad for change over the last year? You, you're embracing that change? I saw you embracing that little change. You're, Kim, you're embracing that little change right there in the front row. Any one of us can readily think of situations where change was not only welcomed, but it was heartily embraced. In fact, if the, there are some changes that we crusade for, husbands and wives forever wishing the other one would change. <laughs> we do marriage retreats and you make a point and you see, like this, wife elbowing husband, husband elbowing wife going, see, he even says that, you need to change. <laughs> Anyone who's experienced the gift of salvation, a gift of God through Christ, by faith, the restoration of what was a broken relationship with God, and now it's a mended relationship, and we have firsthand connection with him, uh, remembers the, the, the verses like this in 1 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things have passed away. They're gone. We love testimonies that speak about moving from darkness to light or bondage to freedom once lost, now found. Bartimaeus, the blind man, was delighted for change. Paul, the apostle, once the light and the scales fell from his eyes, was delighted that God migrated him from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to Paul, the apostle of the church. You see, there's times we embrace, yearn for, wish for change. But we have to be careful about succumbing to the temptation we all face, and that being to embrace change selectively, only when it feels good to us. God allows me to change and to face change in order to stretch my faith and to get me out of my comfort zone. The greatest seasons of growth that I have ever experienced in my lifetime have pressed the borders of my comfort zone. God uses external change as a catalyst to trigger, trigger internal changes that he sees are necessary in the inner man of less. When we were in the height of our journey uh, and the first speaking assignment that we had once I was restored to the pulpit, as they say, uh, after being disciplined for a period of time, we were at a minister's retreat in the state of Montana. A lady came to Doris and me and, 
It was another one of those things. Hey, the Lord has a word for you. I want to share it with you. And so we pulled off to the side. And we knew this lady. We trusted her. We'd known her for years. And she said, she gave us two pieces of advice. I didn't, say, I didn't tell the first one in the first gathering. The first piece of advice was, don't try to script your story. Let God script it. It was great advice because we have the tendency to just ramble it out there. So we knew that was a gift from God because we were in the midst of scripting our story. Well, why aren't you doing what we think you should do, Tyler? Why, why aren't you responding the way I think you should respond? And then we easily transfer that to God himself. Well, Tyler didn't respond the way I think Tyler should. Well, so God must not be responding. She said, don't script the story. And the second thing she said was more painful. What if this is the only crucible through which you, Les, must pass in order for God to refine you into the man he's created you to be? I'd rather not do that. <laughs> God says in Isaiah 43, 19, and this is a good word for all of us, but for some of you in particular today, he says to the nation of Israel, see, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Recognize that God created change as a blessing for you and me. The second point that God used to speak to our hearts was, keep your eyes focused on the one who never changes. The anchor point. Though all may be changing around me, even in riotous fashion, God is the unchanging one. So when I'm having difficulty grappling with accepting change in my life, keeping my eyes on him can actually bring peace and stability to my life. Psalm 46 says it this way, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change and though mountains slip into the sea. Listen to this description of chaos. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. For years, my father led worship in the, my local church. He was the old song leader type. <laughs> 55 years. What does that tell you? How many people do you know presently who lead worship for 55? I hate to prophesy, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you feel that, don't you? You feel the pressure. I gotta keep current, gotta, get, gotta learn those new songs. We sang the same songs every Sunday forever. 
And one of them was, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters, Lord, I shall not be moved. Now he meant that, the author of the song, to say, don't be shaken. I came to understand as a superintendent that church people adopted it as a theme song when they were mad at their pastor. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. But among those many great songs that I learned from dad as a worship leader is one that's cross generations. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faith. Lord unto me. Distractions are common. So much so that the Holy Spirit knew that we would need encouragement and we'd need guidance in the midst of change. And he says, here's one of the things to do in the middle of all that change. Keep your eyes fixed on me, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Some versions say the author and the finisher. The third thing that the Lord brought to me in considering this idea that a changeless God created change in time as a blessing, he wanted me to keep his eyes focused on him in the midst of it, is that I do well to trust that God is ordering the changes of my life. I've committed my life to a God who is never caught by surprise. He's never taken by surprise. He's truly one step ahead of me all of the time. When I've committed my way to him like this, I can trust that the changes that occur in and around me are ordered by him. Now you say, oh, does that mean that God is the one who's responsible for, oh, no, 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 the devil's out to just ruin my life with change. It's the agenda that differs. 
The devil is out to upset my life with change because he's out to do what? What's his mission? Kill, steal, destroy. Jesus says, oh no, I've come to you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And God takes even the stuff the devil has thrown in our pathway as a means of killing, stealing, and destroying. And like uh, uh, Joseph, (laughs) sorry, I had a stuttering problem there. (laughs) Joseph said, what God, or what the enemy intended for evil, I will turn about and use for good. That's the redemptive power of the gospel, the redemptive power of the nature of God. The King James Bible says it this way, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in thy way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his right hand. In the NIV, the New International Translation, which many of us use today, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Sometimes in the tumult of change, we lose sight of the fact that God is in command. We tell our missionary and pastor guests at the counseling ministry we are involved in, and remember, pastors need counsel because they're human before they're pastors. And um, that was part of the th- one of the lessons the Lord has taught me that my failure to recognize and embrace my humanity led me to a vulnerable place. I have to always remember I'm human first. And so, uh, Where was I going? Oh, pastors and missionaries. They will come to us, and they're in the, many of them in the face of great crisis. And so they'll say, where is God? Where is he? Why don't I feel him? Why isn't he listening? Why isn't he answering me? That old idea, when I pray, it's like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. And we often will say to them, God is at work while I am at rest. God is at work, I am at rest. God is at work. I am at rest. We quote John chapter 15. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. God is at work. I am at rest. There was one particular minister recently, and we're very committed to confidentiality, I want you to know I asked him if I could share this part of his story, and he gave me permission to do so. A young minister in great chaos, choices he had made that led to some very serious consequences. 
and he's trying to work through and he would sit across from us and I would say to him, you know God loves you with an everlasting love. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. And he'd say, I could say that to you and believe it for you, but I can't believe it for me. He said, I could tell you God loves you and mean it with all of my heart. But when I think about receiving that love from God, I think I can't do that. I'm not hearing God, I'm not feeling God, I'm not seeing God. Well, he had been there for the whole week. We do what we call intensives. So he had what amounted to 10 to 15 hours of counseling in that intensive week. And he was just hitting his head against the wall. The leader of the ministry, Dr. Jack Roselle, and myself were co-counseling him one day and both of us looked at each other. The Holy Spirit prompted the same directive to our hearts and we said, have you stopped to just listen to see what God is saying to you? He said, it doesn't do any good. I've tried. I just get distracted. The Lord prompted us both with a scripture from the book of Romans, chapter 8, when it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even when you don't know what to say and you're just aching and groaning, God says the Spirit of God prays through you in those groaning moments and he prays in accordance with the will of the Father. The last sentence of that verse is, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. We said, we, want you, we said have you ever had a power encounter with the Holy Spirit? Oh yeah, he said, when I was called to ministry. We said, did God give you gifts? Like, did you speak in a tongue that you had never spoken in before? Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14? Oh yeah, have you done that since? Oh, he said, I haven't done that for nine years probably. We said, well, what if you would just go down by the lake, Lake Washington. It was a beautiful day. I don't know if he was wearing white shoes or not. <laughs> and just sit before the Lord and pray in the Spirit. If you don't know what to pray in understanding, just pray in the Spirit. And if that doesn't seem good, just groan before the Lord. Just groan from your heart. And then listen. Pray to listen. Don't just pray to talk to God. Let him talk back to you. That's what prayer is, conversation. And so he said, oh, okay. Well, the next day he came back and he just, his whole countenance had changed. Problems were all still the same. Circumstances were unchanged. But he's like, lit up like a light bulb. We go, what in the world went on? Oh, he said, when I left here yesterday, I was ticked at you guys. <laughs> Telling me to go down there and do that. And I was going to get in my car and just go back to the hotel. And But he said, the Holy Spirit said, 
go do what they told you to do. So he said, I went down by the lake, Lake Washington, was sitting there along, and there's people all around me, dogs running on leashes, children screaming, they're just in and around all over. And he said, I was so distracted, and I should tell you, part of his challenge in life has been dealing with ADD. So every distraction, this way, this way. So he said, I tried to listen to worship music and I tried to read the Bible and I tried to read one of the books and then the Holy Spirit said, you're not doing what they told you to do. Pray in the Spirit. So he said, I took off my headphones, I set my books aside and I just started praying in the Holy Spirit. He said, an hour and 45 minutes later, I came to my senses. He said, it was like it just passed in a moment. He goes, I don't do anything for an hour and 45 minutes all at once. I said, what did God say to you? He said, he just kept saying over and over to me, I'm with you in this moment. I'm right with you. I love you. I have a plan and I'm gonna work the plan. You just work with me. I care about you, I have not left you, I have not abandoned you. I mean, he just was pouring out all these confirmations. I said, you really heard that? He goes, oh yeah, I heard it. And, but even then he said, I was having a hard time believing it. But he said, I finally got up after that hour and 45 minutes, people all around me. And he said, I went, to leave the park and get into my car and I see a painter and he's got the easel set up to, toward where I was sitting and he was painting the scene where I was seated and he said this is the picture here's the real scene Here's the painter. You see the brush in hand. You see the painting. And in that busy park, there's one person. And he said to the painter, he said, I was just going to walk by. And the Holy Spirit arrested me and said, turn around and go look at that painting. And I said, who are you painting? Is that me? And the painter said, yeah, that's you. He goes, out of all those people, all that frantic activity, you painted me? And he goes, yeah. He goes, why did you paint me? And the painter actually spoke a word from the Lord. He said, because you took, you were the only one who took time to sit long enough. God is ordering the changes in our lives. And one day, He will wipe the tears from our eyes. 
and there'll be no more sorrowing and no more pain and we shall be changed. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're frustrated over Microsoft apps like me. And if that's the worst we face, that's pretty good, huh? But I have a feeling in a crowd like this, it's all over the gamut. Some of you may never have experienced the love of God through Christ. Today is the day. Now is the time for God to change you. Open your heart to him. God is at work. I am at rest. For others of us, you may be going through a very specific incident or a prayer burden that you've carried for a long, long time. And God is at work to show you that he's not forgotten that, that he's still plugging away with the plan. He's still got something in mind, and he's working the plan. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.